So glad you're here with us this morning. Two quick things I wanted to bring before our attention as we get started this morning. Uh, The first, remember, you have been enrolled in four-minute singing school, which means uh, after announcements, we'll have try to have a little bit briefer announcement time, and then we'll have a closing prayer, and then your mind for four minutes. You know, the closing song's usually about four minutes, and this is four additional minutes that we will be working together to build our knowledge and build, uh, uh, learn some new songs because we're trying to introduce new content. A lot of people aren't able to be here Wednesday nights. We're in different places. Um, And so this is a chance for us to learn some new songs together. A second, uh, this is just a resource for you, and if it's helpful, that's great. There is an organization called Renew.org that I highly recommend. Uh, They're just really thoughtful. If you have a concern to try to do it Jesus' way, and try to understand what the scriptures say and then teach. I think that this would be a really valuable resource for you, renew.org, um, and it deals with contemporary things that we're facing in this culture. How do we navigate these things with wisdom? How do we hold this with love? How do we do things God's way? And uh, I was reading an article about that, and how does a Christian respond to uh, the use of marijuana, and it was, it, it's just there, if you want to explore some of this, and you want to try to find some answers, uh, the, this is a good way to go about it. We do have an enemy in this world, and we are facing great evil, and our enemies in this world are not other people, although there are people in this world that are under the influence of uh, things that are really tough. So, Renew is a restoration movement organization, and their goal is just to provide resources for local, local churches to grow in faithfulness, grow in discipleship, to be a catalyst for revival, and uh, all of the things that the Holy Spirit would choose to give us to revive His church. How are you doing this morning? Good. A couple of us are good. That's all right. Well, with all the crazy going on in this world and in our schedules, it's crucial that we make spaces in our lives to seek the Lord. Uh, And for you to become a healthy and mature disciple of Jesus Christ, you need the church and you need other disciples of Jesus. You need the Lord's people. If you let it, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, if you just go with the flow and you let it, this world will take from you everything you have to offer and then still tell you, it's not enough, give me more. Your work schedule, the way we do recreation, there's always going to be a battle that demands more of you. And there's always a temptation to let that space for God be shrunk down smaller and smaller and smaller. You need to fight against that. Church going, church attendance, it is a discipline. It's something that we grow in and we learn with. And it can feel like a burden and a battle of the will just to get here 
just to get everyone ready and out the door to be here, uh, we recognize it's not always easy. But what starts as a burden, later it becomes a habit. And later that habit becomes a joy to you. And then later that joy, it's still there, but then you realize it's not all about me anymore. And as you grow in that life of discipleship, you begin to embody more and more self-sacrificial love. You begin to exhibit all of the fruit of the Holy Spirit because it's not about you anymore. It's about being here to help the people around you. It's about being here to honor the Lord, your God. And so we grow in that. And then, if the will of love and the desire of love is strong enough, who knows where it stops? If you will it, you can become all flame in the Holy Spirit. I believe that. Last week, we looked at the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul found it necessary to remind the Corinthians of the core of the gospel message. What is the core of the gospel? What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And then it goes on to talk about the order of appearances. He also appeared to many people. So this gospel, Paul is saying, that you received, that you stood up for, remember you chose this, it has the power to save you if you don't let this message go. This is the stuff that you need to cling to. This is the stuff that if you let it go, your faith is in vain. It's empty. It doesn't matter if you don't hold on to this. So Paul even uses the language of salvation with this gospel message. If you obey this message, if you hold it tight and don't let it go, if you build your life around this message, if you submit yourself to it, it has the power to save us. And that's not works, that's grace. In verse 12, we discover the reason why Paul had to remind the Corinthians of the core of this gospel message. They were starting to let go of the most crucial part of it, the most important part of the gospel. They were beginning to let it go. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Some people in Corinth were beginning to say there's no resurrection. We don't, we don't need to believe in a bodily resurrection. That's just the stuff they tell you, but it, it doesn't matter. It's not that important. And we know that Paul, throughout this letter, he's had tough stuff to say. He's not pulled any punches in regard to our sexuality, in regard to practicing our sexuality outside of the covenant of marriage, in regard to issues of divorce, in regard to just issues of pride and all. Paul has not pulled punches. I don't know if you've noticed that in 1 Corinthians or not. I felt pretty beat up by Paul at times. But this 
we know that he doesn't tiptoe around anything. Uh, that's because Paul's total, his concern is for our total allegiance, our total surrender to Jesus Christ, our total devotion to, I'm going to do it Jesus' way. I may be not able to understand exactly what that means, but I am going to try to do it Jesus' way. Paul chooses this above being diplomatic. He just doesn't let things slide. But this issue of resurrection, not believing in the resurrection, this is the argument that he saves for the very last argument of this letter. He wants this thing to be the thing that they remember. That this is what all of these other arguments that he's had, and he's had a lot to say. This is the one he saves for the very last. This issue of the resurrection of the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Paul's logic is simple. If Christ was raised from the dead, then it follows that there must be such a thing as the resurrection of the dead. If there is no such thing as the resurrection of the dead, then Christ was not raised. Now, we don't know what, the gra- what all the historical context was or what the grounds uh, the Corinthians had for denying a bodily resurrection. There may have been, and I think it's probably true, there are multiple influences that uh, uh, they were dealing with. And uh, so commentators, they write about all, they speculate on all of these things. We know that uh, the dualistic kind of belief of Greek culture in general where you kind of view the spiritual as pure and anything physical matter or body, it is corrupt and uh, needs to be shed. So when someone dies, the spirit remains, but there is no bodily resurrection because the body is bad. That's kind of a Greek dualistic worldview. People still think kind of along those lines. Another one is, you know, some of these people had some Jewish background. There were sections of Judaism that did not believe in a bodily resurrection. The Sadducees, for example, did not believe in a bodily resurrection. And there were also philosophical groups that were very active uh, in places like Corinth, (coughs) the time of Paul, like the Epicureans. Uh, The Epicureans, they denied the possibility of any kind of life after death. This is all you got. So do the best you can while you got it. And uh, Paul in verse 32 of this chapter actually quotes the Epicureans when he says, um, eat and drink for tomorrow we we die, basically. So uh, you can read that in verse 32. Let's hold off on that one. So let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die, I think is the quote. And that's still, that kind of thinking is still in people's minds. This idea that this world is the only thing that's guaranteed to us. 
So we better, we better have as much fun as we can because we don't know when this party's going to end. And so I'm going to take everything I can get and you better not get in my way of me getting mine. And that's kind of the mindset that a lot of people live with. Want some, get some. So whatever the reason some of the Corinthians had, Paul shows the absurdity of denying the resurrection and still trying to hold some semblance of faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus just doesn't make sense apart from the resurrection of the dead. Without it, we've got nothing. And Paul goes on, he says, more than that. We are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he, uh, that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. So all those people who had witnessed and testified to Jesus being raised from the dead, those people who saw Jesus after the crucifixion, after his, his burial, after his resurrection, after he ascended to, to, it's that time after the crucifixion and the burial and before his ascension, that group still numbered. Paul says he appeared to over 500 people, although some of them have fallen asleep. Uh, that group, which still numbered hundreds of people in the time that 1 Corinthians was written, basically you're calling all of them liars. You're, they're all liars. And aside, what, as an aside, what incentives were there for the apostles and others to make up a story about Jesus being raised from the dead? Have you thought about that? What did they get out of that deal? Did it make the apostles rich? How about their fame? It was more like infamous in the eyes of the people around them. Did their lives suddenly become easier for them when they professed Jesus risen from the dead? <coughs> Excuse me. The universal apostolic witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, it cost these people a whole lot. Their witness to the life of Jesus after death, it brought them hardship, it brought them persecution, and keep in mind, for almost all of them, it cost them their lives, their very lives, with a few exceptions. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ... Nothing. They're lost. So whatever faith you think you have without the resurrection of the dead, empty, futile, vain, no value in it. It doesn't accomplish anything. And uh, what Paul says here is if there is no resurrection, you still have a problem with sin. You're still in your sins. That means you're still separated from God. If you're separated from God, what hope is there? There's no eternal life. There's no, there's no justification. And then he goes on more than that, uh, more than just the sin 
problem? What about the people you've loved who've given their lives to the Lord? Uh, Maybe it's parents, grandparents, maybe it's sibling, children, or friends, all the people you have lost who loved Jesus. Have they lived their lives for Jesus? Their faith has inspired you. Even those little ones who die innocent in the Lord. Uh, When you go let go of the resurrection of the dead, they're just gone, destroyed, oblivion, uh, nothing, no hope. Their lives didn't matter at all. When you let go of resurrection, that's where you have left to stand. If only for this life that we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. A Christian without resurrection, that's a pitiful thing. You should feel sorry for us. You, feel, you should feel real sorry for us above all other people. That's what Paul is saying. You know, there are a lot of immediate tangible benefits to living life as a disciple of Jesus. First off, uh, Christians, we live a life of purpose. We, live, we, we get to, we are here for a reason and we understand that. We have work to do and we understand it. Without the mission of God, uh, we would be just like the rest of the world. The rest of the world, they're living some sort of version of the Hunger Games. They're just trying to get what they can and hold on to it for as long as they can because the party's going to stop at any time and you don't know when that'll be. The mission of God saves us from that. A life of purpose in Christ saves us from that. You know, there's, there's all of these benefits that come from being a disciple of Jesus. Wisdom in this life Wisdom in your finances, wisdom in your relationships. It'll make your marriage stronger. You'll have a more stable family environment for raising your kids. There are all kinds of benefits that come with living this lifestyle if you choose to take on that yoke and follow Jesus Christ. All the temporal and immediate benefits of Christianity. Of all the benefits of being a Christian, there are a lot of churches that tend to focus on what we get out of the deal now. And it's an insipid form of Christianity that has plagued the West. And uh, churches, they get caught up into this. They get caught up into catering to a consumer mentality And we even come with our consumer mentality into this place in subtle ways, and we don't even realize it. Come join us here at our church, and you'll get this benefit, and it'll help your marriage, and it'll be good for your business, and it'll be good for the kids. You'll see. It'll be great. Oh, and by the way, we're going to have a ball doing it, and nothing is ever going to be hard or difficult. And so a lot of churches get caught up in these kind of salesman games, trying to dangle the carrot 
So rich, comfortable, lazy Christians will maybe nibble at it a little bit. Playing games with words so that people will feel, never feel challenged, will always feel affirmed, they will always feel encouraged and uplifted and empowered, and never, you'll never, don't worry about sin, sin, God will take care of all that, it's not a big deal. And it's all of this kind of message that if you boil it down, it's, it's ways that it kind of almost with the words that are preached and the things that are taught and the things that we talk about, it caters to you living a selfish, narcissistic life where you never really have to take up a cross. And I'm just a pretty good guy and Jesus is just there to pat me on the back. No, you're a terrorist and you have committed treason and you need a savior. That's the reality. I know that that sounds pretty harsh the way I'm speaking now. But what are you doing? What are you doing? You know me in person. I'm a pretty soft-spoken, tender-hearted guy. I'm sensitive. But spiritually speaking, frankly, you don't need another pat on the back. You need a wake-up call. And you would benefit more, potentially, from a kick in the pants and a slap across the face than more coddling. There's a little bit of Paul coming out there, maybe. But churches, it's, it's so frustrating to, frustrating to me. We get caught up into this. It's all about the benefits now. It's all about comfort now. And we lose that perspective on the justice of God. We lose that perspective that it all comes down to this resurrection thing. I like this quote. I really didn't like worship today. That's okay. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> we won't talk about those other churches, but if you come join us here, you know, we have the best children's program, the best preaching. You should see that preacher. He's amazing the best worship experience. We have the best youth, youth ministry. Dutch bros. Our facilities are the most amazing there are out there. And as an added bonus, the urinals in the men's bathroom, they don't even smell. Your life will be so much better if you come here with us. And that tends to be the message that we get caught up in and we start to focus on that. And by the way, as an added bonus to all of this, as the cherry on top, you will get to go to heaven and live forever. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not the cherry on top. It's the whole thing. 
It is the whole thing, and without that, you have nothing. That's what Paul is saying. Whatever benefit you think you may have now without the resurrection from the dead, it's nothing but pitiful. And it's a weird thing about the Christianity of our day. Unlike, and some of this is good, but not all of it is good. Unlike the generations that have passed before us for thousands of years, now in this place, in our day, a lot of us have no fear of hell and no longing for heaven. Sin is not that big a deal. Ah, if heaven works out, if it's like they say, that's great. And, and I think there's something that's it's, it's crept into our thinking where we just don't care. We don't think about eternity that much. And a lot of us have lost our redeemed imagination about the resurrection of the, from the dead, our redeemed imagination about all the things that we have to look forward to. Do you ever think about heaven? We think of heaven a lot of times in terms of floating on clouds and strumming harps. How many of you play a harp? Well, not most of us don't. So you think, what does that have to do with me? And we think about heaven as like an ob obligatory, never-ending church service. It just goes on and on, and that's all we do ever. And I'm a preacher, and that sounds to me like torture. We think of heaven as a place where you don't really get to do the fun stuff anymore. You don't really get to do the things you want anymore. But I think actually the opposite of true is true. I think in heaven you will be empowered by God with greater capacities, greater responsibilities than you have currently in this life. You will have work to do. You will get to be a part of creative things. You will have things that you are going to be able to enjoy more than you can enjoy now. But in order to get there, first, to be able to be empowered to do what you want to do, first, you've got to get your wanters straightened out. You've got to get your wanter fixed because we want the wrong things most of the time or a lot of times. The project of our lives is to get our wanters straight. Get it straightened out, our desires for the greater things, for the more important things. That is the project that we've already stepped into in this life. But I think it's going to continue. And uh, we are going to grow into the wonder and the beauty of the incarnation of our Lord and His love and grace for all eternity. We're just going to become more and more like Jesus. Is Jesus free? We will get to enter into that freedom in new ways. And that's for God to help us figure out and God to decide what that's going to be. But it's going to be amazing. You are going to be more alive than you are now, not less. 
You're not going to be just some floating vapor out there that is a memory of God and not much more. Do you have a redeemed imagination about what is to come? Without resurrection, a bodily resurrection, you don't have anything, Paul says. It's not just the cherry on top. It's not just the closing line of the children's book, and they lived happily ever after. Your resurrection from the dead is going to be the beginning of a new chapter where things really start to get interesting. This is just a kind of summary of everything that Paul has said so far in these verses. If Christ is not raised, what does that mean? Well, it means anything that preaching that we've heard or anything I do up here, it doesn't matter at all. Your faith, the trust you've put in Jesus Christ, it's futile. It doesn't mean anything. It's vain. Everyone who claims that the resurrection of Christ has happened, they're a liar. They're lying to you. You still have a sin problem. If Christ was not raised, you're still estranged from God. If Christ was not raised, your loved ones who have died and have gone on, they are no more. Oblivion. Their lives didn't matter. And it's not just their lives, your life. It's meaningless without this. I cannot overstate the strength at which Paul is making this argument. And just in case there's any doubt, if we don't have this, we're the most pitiful people who've ever walked the face of this earth. That's what he's saying. And now this, this is where all of this world lives. And this is where you, in the power of the Holy Spirit, step in to something new. And it's a new confession. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is that line that when you cross this, you've left all the world, rest of the world behind. And you've stepped into something brand new. And you know the truth of that? Not necessarily because of something I've said. Or so. that, is the, that is the Holy Spirit at work in our lives to accept the truth of this message and to live and die for this message. 
Christ is the beginning of a whole new reality and a whole new possibility for humanity. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example and the first example of the unceasing life that is to come. There had been other resurrections that we read about in Scripture, but those were just temporary extensions temporary extensions of this same earthly life. But the resurrection of Jesus, it is the first bodily resurrection of an unceasing and eternal life. Ain't no grave gonna hold him again. This language of first fruits, and this is where we'll end this morning goes back to language from Leviticus. Leviticus 23, using this imagery, Paul using this imagery of a grain harvest. Of a grain harvest. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I am going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest, And he is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so that it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after Sabbath. So this first fruits of the harvest, the sheaves that are waving. That was an accident. I'm glad I'm good for some kind of comic relief. The priest, the sheaths, they are waving. That's what Jesus is like. The first fruits. Paul sees that. He ties that, this thing to, this is pointing to Jesus. This is what Jesus is like. This is the way resurrection works. What day is Sabbath on? Saturday. Wave it on the day after the Sabbath. What day follows Sabbath? Sunday. What day was Jesus raised from the dead on? The first day of the week. Sunday. This is what our Lord is like. This is what his resurrection is like. It's the first portion. Is it the only harvest? It's not the only harvest. It's just the first grain you harvest. That's what Jesus is like. He's the first part that has been dedicated to God the Father. Jesus is a gift from God. You know what else Jesus is? He is God's portion. God gets his share first. And you know what follows? The rest of the harvest. And that part includes Paul and the Corinthians all the way to us today and as many tomorrows as the Lord chooses to give us. That is a part of what we get to participate in. Jesus is the first fruits. He has indeed been raised from the dead.
Dad, you can come up. That's the sermon. In Jesus Christ, the best is always yet to come. The bigger part of the story for us, it's not that this resurrection thing is a cherry on top. It's not, and they lived happily ever after. It is the first fruits of the bigger part of the story that is to come in Jesus Christ. The best is always yet to come. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? We cannot let go of this beauty of the message that we've been entrusted with. If you have needs for the prayers of this church, if you want to put the Lord on in baptism, if there's some way we can help you, you can meet me up here and uh, talk to me. I'll put this down so you won't get whacked by anything. And uh, we're going to go ahead and stand and sing an invitation song together.